Hi, this is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. This is a series we call Tuesdays at 2. Today, my guest is Devin Thorpe. And we've had a series of, of interviews with people about building the structure, building your board, making your organization more fundable. Now we're going to talk about social good. We're going to talk about benefiting the communities where we exist. But we're also going to talk about Hmm. Some funding in a very specific way. So, Devin Thorpe, tell people who you are. Well, thank you, Hugh. It's an honor to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. You're clearly a gentleman, and I am a champion of social good. I write about and speak about people who are doing good in the world, and we're focused on solving some of the world's big problems. And I've chosen to do this because when I was fired from my job three years ago, as the chief financial officer of a global food and beverage company, I decided that I would channel my youthful enthusiasm for doing good in the world and helping other people. Well, now, it takes many forms. I've, I've looked at your website and I went there and there's, oh, there was this book on crowdfunding. So I want to do that subset first and then talk about the other ways that you bring social sure. good, but I, I guess knowing the value that you're bringing and being very clear on the value proposition is directly related to whether people are going to give you money or not, right? That's right. Uh, when, you're, when we're talking about raising money in any form, of course, people need to know why. That's the big, the big thing. Say that again. <laughs> when I don't want to make sure people get that little tidbit. <laughs> yeah, people need to know why they're giving. And so that's uh, one of the many things that uh, I teach in the crowdfunding universe when I'm out uh, teaching about that. But the crowdfunding is such an important part of the development landscape for a nonprofit uh, organization. I like to say that a crowdfunding program is not a complete development plan, but no development plan is complete without crowdfunding as a part of it. Really? Yeah. Really? There, it's a great way to attract new, new donors, great way to uh, tap into your existing donor base to do that, and it's a great way to raise money. So I really don't think any organization that is in the business of raising money should be tackling that without some form of crowdfunding today. That's very interesting. It's it's sort of a way to publicize the Yes. Oh, absolutely. It, it, crowdfunding in many respects is just a new name for something that nonprofits have been doing for a long time. Mm. But technology has allowed us to do it in a way that has broader reach. Because of social media and the internet, we can communicate a message in a way that we just couldn't. Even 10 years ago, the internet alone without social media didn't allow us to share a message broadly. Well now, with Facebook and, and Twitter, there's almost no limit to the audience that a nonprofit can attract if you have the right story and do the work. It's hard work. Really? Yeah. You just don't put up a page and sit back away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are a lot of people still who think that, and I see their campaigns all the time, because when they start to get desperate, 
they actually do a Google search on crowdfunding and my name will come up and then they'll tweet me the link to their campaign and mm -hmm. see, uh, and then I see how much they've raised, which is usually zero. And so I know there's still a lot of people who operate under this assumption that all you do with crowdfunding is put up a page and wait for the money to roll in. And in fact, the fundamental concept of crowdfunding is that you are starting with your own network, with your own group and friends. It's a very different dynamic than what sometimes people perceive. The great thing is though, if you do it right, they will help you expand your network so that much of the money ultimately comes from people you didn't know but that are friends of your friends, friends of the people who already know and love If you can be clear about the why. That is a key part of it. And getting amplification then is really the part. So, so there are two secrets, if, if I may, with mm -hmm. crowdfunding. And this first secret is you've got to get all of your friends and family, your supporters, the people who already back you, you've got to get their money lined up before you post your We lose our I think we're back live. We're live. We're live. Well, hey, just a little blip there. Google restored itself. It did. Yeah. So the magic of Google. <laughs> yes. So the I think the the key, the easiest definition of crowdfunding that I like to use it's uh, using a third-party website to raise money from the public. Right. And so that's different than approaching foundations for grants. It's different than uh, approaching governments for grants. And, and of course, some nonprofits do that with great success. But mm -hmm. and so it's just a piece of the puzzle, and it's a complement to things the, like the old direct mail campaigns. I say old, even though those still tend to be very effective tools. Mm -hmm. 
And this should not replace those, frankly. I'm not suggesting this is a better way. I'm suggesting crowdfunding is an additional way. You need several tricks up your sleeve, don't you? Oh, yeah. You, I'm not an expert on how to run a nonprofit. I'm not going to pretend to be. Okay. I've developed this expertise around crowdfunding. I'll tell you, no nonprofit should be working without this now as a part of their annual program. But it, it won't replace the annual, the, the total package of funding sources that and on. How about making cakes or cleaning out your basement? <laughs> yeah. Those things probably all have a role, all uh -huh. have a place. Now, uh -huh. some of those things may go by the wayside as crowdfunding becomes more universal and more well understood because sometimes the the activities we do with cleaning out our basement and bake sales are not mm -hmm. creating value. It's just a way to tap into the crowd and, and new technologies may give us some better ways to do that. And there's a personal there's a personal connection yeah. there yeah. as well, which we don't yeah. get online. But you can draw from people everywhere on the, the crowdfunding. So you've you've taken your financial expertise and you've focused it on this one area to help us raise the bar on our effectiveness as, as yeah. nonprofit uh, social benefit leaders. Yeah. Um, you're an expert. You write for Forbes, don't you? Yes, yes, and, I do. And what's your, what's your niche? Is it, is so, it is this for nonprofits? Is yeah, so I cover social entrepreneurship and impact investing, and I tie closely into that nonprofits. Of course, I would argue that virtually every nonprofit, just like every for-profit business, started with an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So there's an entrepreneurial story, I think, in every Absolutely. nonprofit. Absolutely. And then, of course, philanthropists. Uh, and so I've had wonderful opportunities uh, writing for Forbes. I, I produce hangouts like this for most of my stories. And I had an opportunity last week to interview uh, Jean Case, who's the wife of uh, Steve Case, the founder of AOL. So, you know, billionaire family that set up a foundation, and they're passionate about crowdfunding, passionate uh, about impact investing. It's really, those two things are some of their biggest priorities, and it's great to connect with people like that. This Forbes gig has really been a great blessing to me. Has it? Yeah, absolutely. Really wow. enjoyed it. Wow. Getting to know great people like that, that share enthusiasm for doing good, and they're doing it at scale. Is that the name of your organization? Doing good? What, what is I it? call my organization Your Mark on the World Center. Your Mark on the World Center. Whoa. Did this just come to you one day, or has this been a pattern for your life? Well, this has been building for a while, but when about, uh, I, I think I mentioned it, about three years ago, I was fired from my job mm -hmm. as CFO, and I the first thing my wife and I did uh, is to go to China. We went there for a year and taught English. I, she taught English. I taught business classes in English at South China University of Technology. Had an absolute ball. But during my second semester, I had kind of a light schedule. Mm -hmm. And so at first, I was trying to get more hours, more teaching hours, to get just a few more dollars, because they didn't pay us much at all, but it was barely subsistence wages. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute, this is an opportunity of a life to have some flex time. So I took that time and wrote a book. I wrote a book called Your Mark on the World, which is about how individuals can really make a difference in the world. And the key part of that, again, tapping into my old 
finance background is to use their money wisely. Mm -hmm. Part of that is to not waste it so that you have it to take care of yourself, so that you're not part of the problem, and then to be able to use it to do good. Right? That's the. There isn't much more point to life, right, than to take care of ourselves mm -hmm. and to do good in the world, right? So that that's kind of the philosophy of the book. So. Give us the title one more time of the book. That book is called Your Mark on the World. Your Mark on the World, and is yeah. it on Amazon? It is on Amazon, and it is not very popular. I wrote a book called 925 Ideas to Help You Save Money, Get Out of Debt, and Retire a Millionaire So You Can Leave Your Mark on the World. That book is very popular. <laughs> must be something in the title there. Yeah, I think there's something about becoming a millionaire that appeals to people. Of course, really my point on that is simply that Unless you are already 65, you probably will need nearly a million dollars to retire, just because of the financial requirements of a long retirement. Most, if you retire at 65 or even 70, you can expect to live for 30 years. You want to have a nest egg that will not just provide for you for 10 years or 20, but for 30. So you do need to have a fair bit of money saved up, but I believe that all of us have the ability to save enough money to do that mm -hmm. and give some money away along the way. We don't have to set this up in a fancy trust so that a charity gets it all at the end and never give away a dollar along the way. We can give dollars along the way. So I'm, I'm rambling. I'm tapped into my real passion here. Well, but, but we're connected people who want to do good. Yeah. And so this is this is helpful. I hope so. So I really believe that people can make a huge difference if they just commit to give three, five, ten percent of their income. And I don't want to be too specific about that because that's a very personal decision. But if you decide to give, let's say, five percent of your income, and let's say you've got a household income of seventy-five thousand dollars. So you're talking about giving three or four thousand dollars a year to a cause. Well, there's hardly a cause on the planet where three or four thousand dollars wouldn't get you on the list of special donors. If you will then hmm. take some of your time hmm. and match that time to your money for that cause, now you're a real player. So very quickly, you're going to be serving on a committee, planning and organizing. What's happening is you are really making a mark now, right? Because not only is your money going to do good, not only is your time making a difference and leveraging that, but now you're in the decision-making process. Well, a couple of years of doing this and you'll be on the board, or if it's a local organization, you'll be on the board of directors for the organization. Well, now, you're, now you're, your impact, your mark on the world is even more expanded, right? Because What's going on is you are now not only contributing and making an impact, with, and you're making time and making an impact, you are now making decisions and making an impact. That is a strategy for really making a mark, I think. That's a profound paradigm. And I'm, I'm, my mission is to change how we function in organizations. To me, that's leadership as a culture, but it's led by a visionary leader. And transformational leadership is about building a culture of high performance and leaders on teams, for which the the leader of the organization is really good at articulating the vision 
and being the champion for that vision through other people as well. And, and we, we get into bad habits organizationally, which penalizes our ability to do good. Yeah. We're so either we're infighting or we're trying to keep the doors open or we're distracted by the mundane things of life. And to be focused on doing good is, is profound. I, so part of my, my methodology is to eliminate the words that don't work. And one of the words that people say in the church, in the nonprofit, they continue to say to me, well, people don't volunteer. So I said, let's eliminate the word. Don't, don't do it. So in the church, it's contrary to your theology. We talk about God calling us. Well, you don't volunteer. So we say it's members and ministry. So in the in social benefit yeah. community, we call nonprofit. That's another word that's kind of minimalist thinking. It's non-taxed. Yeah. Yeah. It is social benefit. It's doing sure. doing good in the yeah. community. So why don't we, we activate servant leaders in the community who, who then understand the why. Yeah. So it's, it's this... I, I give my money, but that's only part of it. The yeah. money is is, is is the medium, but we got to get things done. So that's yeah. activating the community. Yeah. So rather than recruit people, which is another word, we don't we don't do it very well. So let's give people a reason to want to participate as servant leaders, and then give yeah. them a track. And we have a lot of misnomers, but you're you're really clarifying some profound things here. It's it's a two way street. You're activating the troops. And then the leaders in the organization should be able to provide a pathway. Absolutely. As a pathway. And they naturally, they'll be drawn to people who are doing this. But it, you're absolutely right. The organization needs to tap into people who want to do good, right? That are, that are passionate about it. And they, they can tap them for their money and for their time and for their leadership. So in a crowdfunding site, is, there, is it just about money? Or is there a chance for people to say, I want to participate? Most crowdfunding sites are set up to tap into really two energies. One is your money, and then the other is sharing, which is an activity that is helpful. There is uh, one site that is just getting started, and it'll be interesting to see where they go, but it's a site called Critical Mass, and it is, it's run by uh, an Italian, actually, but they operate principally in the United States. And they are focused on trying to activate not only the money and the social sharing, but also connections that are valuable and volunteer time. So they're really trying to aggregate all of these things. And it'll be interesting to see if they're successful because I think I think they're tapping into something that really matters, right? That that, a, that synergy of those activities that come together. What they work. Foundation is that's synergy, right. Synergy. So <laughs> that's we've right. taken the synergy. So having a common vision. So you're helping helping me think about how do we crystallize the vision. So we want to impact people and being better at articulating that vision. So if we're really good at articulating the vision and encompassing everybody in that vision, then we get the synergy. So I thought the truncation of the center vision um, talks about where those yeah. come together. Yeah, yeah. The juncture of those two. So we focus on money, and you're helping clarify some really important things. We focus on money, that's going to make the difference. What you're helping me understand in a different way is that's part of it. So maybe in a crowdfunding campaign, if people um, serve the church for 40 years, what I came to understand is people will support anything they believe in. 
with their dollar yeah. and their feet. They will not support anything they don't believe in. Yeah. And we wonder why, and we don't look in the mirror to say maybe we weren't clear on the value of what we did. Yeah. If, if we're in business and we have a very clear value proposition in our strategy and we can articulate that, yeah. then people know why they need our product or service. Yeah. So we're, we've got a product or service in, in the social benefit community and we're, we're doing good, but we're feeding people or we're having a free clinic or we're doing something. Yeah. And our particular work is about educating people and raising the bar on functioning, we call it leadership. Yeah. But it's getting things done. So you're helping me clarify that there's multiple messages and there's multiple connections and underneath that it's the value proposition but it's creating relationships. There's there's relationships yes. that people have with their money. And boy, I tell you, one of the most rewarding things that uh, I've had happen is a woman reached out to me after reading one of my books, the, the 925 book, and she said, we've got to i got to meet you. And so we met and she sat down and she said, I want you to know you saved my marriage. She, but she had read my book and then had given that book to her husband and said, read this. He read it and then for the first time in their whole marriage they had a common language where they could sit down oh. and talk about <laughs> money. And I'm hoping it's still going well, but they just moved to California. I think they're doing well. So it, I'm, But yes. People have a very close and specific relationship with money, mm -hmm. very personal, and sometimes it can't even, they don't know how to even articulate, you're doing it wrong, right? And th but they feel that way, uh, sometimes in their spousal relationships, and of course, then that would enter in as a non how to separate someone from their money. Boy, that's a very personal thing sometimes. So. It is very personal. So Devin Thorpe's a marriage counselor, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. But it's funny how all of these things get intermingled. And and if people see value, then they can transfer the relationship of the money and their time to the cause that you're doing. And there's plenty of requests for people's money and time. Yeah. So the, the it's up to us to be clear about that. Yeah. One of the things that I see nonprofit leaders do wrong occasionally, you've probably seen this. I've probably done it. <laughs> no, I'm sure you haven't. But occasionally I see nonprofit leaders get discouraged because people don't buy into their cause. Mm -hmm. And I think what they're forgetting, and so I see, I see those people sometimes say, we live in this totally selfish world because no one wants to give to my cause. Oh, wow. And I think what they're missing is that nine out of ten people you talk to, they have a cause they're passionate about. So you're not, as a leader, competing with their selfishness by and large. I think what you're competing is their commitment to another cause. So it, hmm. the, you're never going to win those people over by insulting them. <laughs> right? We need to keep in mind, I think this, this genuine principle, I think people are good and generous as a vastly overwhelming part of the population mm -hmm. and tapping into that requires sophistication. It requires gratitude, appreciation, focusing on the why, but never, never insulting the people who don't give. Because we're frustrated because maybe we weren't clear. Yeah. Or maybe they've just got too much on their plate and they're trying to tell you. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's okay 
I think, for people not to give to one cause or another. I think most people are giving pretty generously to a lot of causes. Mm -hmm. And and it just we so I just don't want nonprofit leaders to think ill of people who choose not to give to their particular campaign. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think by and large people are generous and well, good and doing good. But you want to maintain that relationship because someday oh, yeah. they might you know finish with that one and come back. Absolutely. It the a lot of people are gonna say no the first time. And some people may say no every time. But there are people, most people you'll pick up along the way. So you have to build build that relationship, just like you're saying here. Several weeks ago, we had Bill, Mer Bill Gilmer on here and interviewed him. And he's a printer, does a, has a print shop. But they, he does direct mail campaigns for nonprofits yeah. and, and surveyed what works, the right message, the right time, and the right rhythm. And that was 30-30-30. 10% is how it looks. Which he said doesn't do me any good because I design mailings, but and he said that that did not have as much in timing of it is that you're consistent over a period of time, so we're continuing to make these impressions. So coming back to this, they said no. Now shout to the people and share what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah, this is what's going on, and maybe don't even ask for anything. Just say here's what's yeah. happening. Here's what's happening. So you continue messaging them about the value of what's going on with your organization. In an honest way, you can't make it up. One of the things that I coach people to do when they're crowdfunding, it gets kind of what you're talking about, is I encourage them to publicly thank all the donors. And so that usually on Facebook or Twitter looks like a simple thank you for giving. We really appreciate you having contributed. We've raised $5,000 for the cause this month. We're very excited. Thank you. Well, some may feel a reluctance to do that because they know that most of the people who read that won't, will not have given to the campaign. But that just makes it work so much better because what's the first thought you have when someone thanks you for doing something you didn't do? You feel just a little bit guilty, and now you're going to think, <laughs> oh, golly, a lot of people gave, and I didn't give. I better click this link and figure out What's going on? So, so I think showing gratitude, even in these contexts where sometimes there, you may not feel like you have anything to be grateful for, showing gratitude, I think, is is really, I think, a a weapon. Maybe that's the wrong word, but a tool for yeah. raising money. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! That's brilliant. Now you don't name them, but you just thank them generally. Yeah. So you post on Facebook. We're really grateful. Thank you very much for for everyone donating. Appreciate everyone donating. Uh, people come on and they. Usually, list a name and email when they're they're doing that. I mean, yes, and a personal right. email, sure, yes. So, an, a per, so automatic email, but is it good to keep them on a on an information to let them know I'm how sure. it's going and thank them? Yeah. And, and one of the things that more and more crowdfunding sites are allowing you to do is to find ways to connect with people who don't donate, hmm. who want to support your cause in some way, but aren't ready to give you money. Well, I mean, what a great thing to have. Someone who basically is saying, yes, I would like to be your Facebook fan. I would like to follow you on Twitter. I want to follow you, know what's going on. I'm going to follow your crowdfunding campaign. Those are people who may not give today, but may be seriously planning on committing. When you reach a threshold, they may be planning to donate when you give, say the right word. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it's, 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 there's a broader principle there, I'm sure. 
in terms of building relationships, but certainly in the crowdfunding world, it's a, an exciting nuance to be able to find ways to collect new names and prospects, even if you don't get money from them on this first go. Wow. Um, we're talking to Devin Thorpe today. We've sort of centered on crowdfunding. That's a piece of the value you bring to the world. Um, I want to uh, sort of go back and, and summarize. You mentioned some of the things people do wrong. And I think keeping us out of the ditch is probably good. So I'd like to summarize some of those. And then before we end, if there's a, an overarching piece of wisdom that you want to impart on us. You, there's been lots of tidbits, but maybe something you haven't had a chance to say yet, you would like to, to plant there. So um, the, the downfall, what are the things that cause the most failure in the crowdfunding campaign? The uh, lack of preparation mm -hmm. unequivocally is the big thing. A crowdfunding campaign usually runs for 30 days. Sometimes they're shorter, longer, may go for several months, but 30 days is typical you probably need to spend 60 to 90 days preparing for that 30-day campaign. Wow. So most people are underprepared when they launch their crowdfunding campaign, and that's why they don't get the results they want. Mm -hmm. So that's thing one. Thing two, I think, is that people are afraid to start with their inner circle. If you're not willing to ask your mom to give you some money for this campaign, probably shouldn't be asking anyone else to give money to this campaign either. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to hit your mom up for $5,000, no. but if you can't hit your mom up for 5 bucks on this campaign, there's something wrong with the campaign. Mm -hmm. It's not worth doing, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's often the case. I think the, I think the campaigns are generally good, but if you're not willing to ask your mom for money, or if mom won't give you money, that says something. And so we see a lot of campaigns where I see that avoidance on asking the inner circle. Uh, they want the public somehow to give without starting. You've got to start at the inside, the inner circle, and build out from there. And you build credibility with the money that you raise. Mm -hmm. So you've got to get some money somewhere. I say you start with the inner circle and you build out. So those are really the two big ones. Uh, not understanding the, the media is... Not so much a mistake, but a, a failing in essence mm -hmm. of not mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. how powerful the media can be mm -hmm. in your crowdfunding campaign. And then I see it occasionally, and it, it blows my mind. People will set up a crowdfunding campaign, and the organizers won't be posting on Facebook and Twitter every day. And what What is more important during a crowdfunding campaign than posting something? something on Facebook and Twitter every day because your backers, they don't have time to sit down and think, well, what could I tweet or what could I post on Facebook? But they're watching you. And what they're going to do, they're going to like, share, tweet, and retweet what you post. So if you're not posting anything, they can't retweet. So you're, you're not feeding your supporters any of that froth. So you, you've got to be out there at least once a day, so that your supporters who are watching you will have something to say and tweet. So that's probably the final mistake, I see. I see, I see, and, and the, the overarching message I'm hearing today is consistent with the um, 
predecessors in this, this series is that we need to have really good systems in this business of running a nonprofit. Oh yeah. And and it's serious work. It's not we're just going to show up and because it's a good cause, everything's going to automatically happen. So the leadership issue here is to develop really good systems and install really good business principles and certainly having a plan, certainly being prepared, certainly treating it uh, with a very a very high level priority as you're doing the process and engaging your major stakeholders in the process, like the yeah. social media posting. That's, you know, duh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the great thing is we live in a day and age where there are such tremendous tools for doing this that it oh. is, yeah. what we're talking about, we're still in the early days, relatively speaking, of crowdfunding as a, as a phenomenon, but it is a, it's world changing, really because it allows so many people to do things that they simply could not have done before. If you are someone who wants to launch a nonprofit today, you can start with a crowd, with crowdfunding for a project and see if it works. And we see thousands of projects like that every year now where people say, you know, if I just had $5,000, I could go do this and solve a problem. And they do it. And if you go back, Five or ten years ago, it just really wasn't an option. You know, five thousand dollars was a major stumbling block. You say, well, you've got to go to the library and find a foundation and make an application, and you know, a twenty-two-year-old head just starts to spin. Like, fill out forms, write applications. Oh my God, wait three months? No, no. That, that's just not the way a twenty-two-year-old thinks. They're too impatient. And now we've got all these great twenty-two-year-olds out there doing stuff. And making a difference. Absolutely. So it's a very serious business, and we want to give serious attention. So we can't have an apathetic board, yeah. which was we talked about it with Sarita Herring last time. And we can't um, shirk off our leadership responsibility of preparing and, and participating fully. That's it's right. not a passive. It's not a passive activity. Yeah. So well, your board is so key in crowdfunding campaign, really, because it's all about all hands on deck. And if your board won't engage. Try <laughs> get a divorce. <laughs> so as we as we tie up this and summarize, we've we've talked about social good, about benefit to the world, um, about doing good, um, whatever the, the nuance is there. So in in that general sense, what's a piece of uh, a thought you'd like to leave people with as we end this session? Uh, I think I'd like to. Can I share a personal story? Absolutely, here? absolutely. About, uh, well, I'm going to skip the years. But some years ago, uh, I had my 40th birthday. Mm -hmm. that, that you knew was in the rearview mirror already. But I, like so many people at that age, decided that I needed a Harley Davidson. Oh, my. So I bought a Harley. And I have this great picture of my wife standing next to it the day I bought it. And, and I remember her saying to me that day, you realize I am never going to get on this thing with you. Well. I think by the time I had it in our parking garage, we live in a high-rise condo, she said, well, maybe you could just take me for a little spin just around the garage. It's safe in here. Well, <laughs> it didn't take long where, before we were going everywhere on a motorcycle. Really? Uh, if, if I was going on an errand, she wanted to come and ride on the back. So we were just out all the time. So one weekend I had to, I had to go 
from my home in, in Salt Lake City up to Soda Springs, Idaho for a business meeting. Long story. I'll skip the story of why I had to go to Soda Springs, but it, it was a perfect drive to think through. You know, we're going through the backcountry roads, so we went up to Soda Springs and uh, over the weekend and came down through uh, Bear Lake country in, in the Utah-Idaho border and over into Wyoming. We just had a ball. Had dinner in Park City, Utah, and we're rolling into town, into Salt Lake, and got cut off in traffic, and the bike went down. And we're flying down the highway now, going 60 miles an hour without the motorcycle. Oh dear. Yeah, so I kind of slid down the freeway, but my wife tumbled. And when I got to her, I was relieved because I could hear her crying. Mm -hmm. But she was completely broken. Uh, well, we got her to the hospital. She spent uh, several days in intensive care and then endured an 11-hour surgery where they put her big bones back together, not her little bones. on surgery. I'm sorry, this is taking the worst moment of all through this experience was when the nurse came to me the day before she was to come home. And she said, tomorrow we're sending your wife home. Now, my wife had four broken legs. Hmm. She couldn't do anything for herself. Oh, my. And I'm saying to myself, I'm just, she's coming home with me? I was just in a panic. Well, I reached out to my family, my friends, and my church, and they rallied around, and they rescued me. It was like I was a soldier who was out of ammo, under fire, and ready to surrender, and the cavalry showed up. And what I want your listeners to appreciate, Hugh, is that I understand they're the cavalry. They're the people who ride in and are showing up and they're making a difference in people's hour of need. And having been there, I can tell you it is an invaluable, invaluable service. And I'm grateful to the people that you serve for the work they're doing. And as am I. And Devin Thorpe, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for imparting the wisdom of your multiple years of experience. You are over 40. Okay. I'm way ahead of you. Uh, so stay tuned below this uh, below this 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 video. You'll have a list of the next few weeks. We have some really good things in store for you. So don't miss one. And by the way, there's social buttons down there. Share with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all those other buttons. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for being with us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.